0: Matthew chapter 14. All that to say we love your church, we love your pastor, we love you guys, and so it's always a blessing to be here with you guys. I appreciate you guys singing Psalm 24A today. That's it's my favorite psalm, right? Just like stand alone. My favorite psalm in the entire Bible is Psalm 24. And then when I heard the music that it was said to, to God be the glory, it's such a triumphant hymn, it's such a powerful music. Uh, that's been my favorite psalm to sing. I think we sang that, was it last Wednesday night in church? No, two Wednesdays ago. I wasn't sick when we sang it, so I think it was two Wednesdays ago, yeah. All right, Matthew 14, and we're gonna read verses one through 11. Verse one, the Bible says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them. And pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask your blessing on the message this afternoon. Uh, May it be clear, Lord. May it be spirit-led. May you teach us, Lord, this morning. Our hearts and our minds being submissive to your spirit this morning, Lord. I pray that you would teach us, reprove us, rebuke us, encourage and exhort us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming to what is a very important text I think for our day and age we live in an age of a great downgrade in Christianity don't we um, many ancient heresies are popping back up on the scene today they're packaged and they're wrapped as new doctrines or new but they're not new right they're ancient they're heresies uh, we, we may word them differently you know we don't we don't call ourselves what was the term they used back at the Council of Nicaea? Were well, the uh, Arians? Don't call ourselves Arians today. You know, we don't we 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 wrap it up as Jesus was a good teacher, he's a good man. Right? We we rob him of his deity that way. Or or we don't we, we don't call it, you know, modalism or whatever the ancient term may have been. You know, I, I know a church there they, they, they deny the trinity, but when you read their website, their doctrinal statement. It says, we believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, to just a, a, a layman just cruising for a church, that sounds pretty orthodox. But what they mean is, and this is a church in Bakersfield I'm referring to, what they mean is, we believe in one God who shows himself in three different ways, <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, these ancient heresies are coming up, but they're being repackaged to sound orthodox, to sound biblical. There's a great widespread watering down of the gospel, isn't there, in the church today? A great watering down of the gospel, a great compromise with the world in the church today. We live in a, a very unique age, I think, in which we're dealing with heresy, we're dealing with the watering down of the gospel, the cheapening of the gospel and compromise with the world all at the same time. And we have to navigate that as Christians. If we're going to hold on to our faith, we have to navigate what's going on around us. These aren't new issues that we face. Each generation is called to stand for truth. In the days of the Reformers, it was to stand against the heresies of Rome. In the days of the Council of Nicaea, it was to stand against the Arians. In the late 19th and 20th centuries, it was a stand against theological liberalism that had crept into the churches. Today, it's issues like the sanctity of life, right? Because you you assume Christians are for the sanctity of life. You'd be surprised. There's a great many Christians, professing Christians. Understand when I use the term Christian, I mean professing Christian who is actually okay with abortion in favor of it. There's a great many churches today who are not opposed to it. And some actively campaign for it. Professing Christian churches. We marveled, Pastor Max and I, that just uh, less than, what, a mile or two, we were out there at the Long Beach Planned Parenthood. You have Planned Parenthood, and you have FPA right both killing babies right by side by side a few blocks apart less than 2 miles away is a church a baptist church a thousand people or so that says nothing about it nothing no witness no preaching you say well but they're 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 anti-abortion prove it let's stop saying what we are prove it what did what in James? Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. We're in a day and age when we can't just give platitudes anymore. Yeah. Do you believe the gospel saves? Prove it. Go preach it to somebody. Do you believe that God takes care of his church? Prove it. Shut down the carnivals and the circuses and the face painting and all the other nonsense we're doing in church to draw people in if we believe that Christ is sovereign over his church. Well, I'm against abortion. Prove it. Do something about it. It's issues like the sanctity of marriage. Great many churches promote same-sex marriage. A great many others kind of silently hold hands with that group. And then others who would preach boldly against it or speak boldly against it, but they're not preaching it. They're not taking the stands they need to take. Another area that we need to confront in our day is human sexuality. I'm going to make a very unpopular statement. Boys are boys and girls are girls. Good minute. Good minute. That's right. And there are defining features of both but there are churches where that would be a controversial statement not just in the world I'm not talking about the world I'm talking about the church our compromise with the world has caused us to water down the gospel that we preach it's affected the church you can't hold hands with the world and not have it affect the church But we've tried, haven't we? The professing church in America has tried to do that. As the world grows increasingly hostile to Christians, the Bible, and God himself, there will need to be great boldness from those who follow the historic Christian faith. Great boldness. We we live in a day of great weakness in the church. I don't want to take a phrase that's been abused, but we live in a day of great effeminacy in the church. Men cower, afraid to stand for the truth. They're not bold as lions. They're not standing for righteousness. They want to please the people. They want to please the community. And so they compromise what they preach, what they believe, because they're weak men who run our churches today. Weak men. Weak men compromise. Bold men take stands. Bold men go to battle, weak men don't. They run and they hide. In our day and age, we'll be labeled as intolerant and haters of mankind. We will be. You watch. They label us as homophobic for standing against the perversion of God's natural design. We don't pretend a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. So we're called hateful and bigoted. Listen, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We're we are not a new cult that has suddenly come on the scene. We're not. What has happened is the church has so long compromised with the world that some of us true believers are standing up now and saying no more compromise. You're like whoa, there's this new cult rising up. Right. No, it's kind of like when, when Lot, right? He went to his family, and Lot, who had given his whole life to compromise, came to his family, and it was to them as someone who mocked, who made fun. Yeah. Right. Like, wait. So you're you're telling me that you are going to stand against what we're doing? You've been okay with it this whole time. Right, yeah. You sat in the gate of the city. You had some you had some civil authority. You said nothing. Right. Now suddenly God's gonna destroy the city, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're not new what we're preaching here. We're not new on the scene in Christianity, folks. We are the historic Christians. But they'll label us as cults and extremists for upholding the historic tenets of the Christian. <coughs> Christian faith, which we have believed for two thousand years. What they do is they interview people who are new on the scene, and they paint them as the historic Christians. I was watching the other day—I don't know what you would call it—a news article, a news show, a documentary on uh, Doug Wilson in Christchurch, in Moscow, Idaho. And uh, what they did throughout the whole piece was to label him as a cult and an extremist. And to prove their point, they brought on a pastor. A woman pastor of a Unitarian church. Who assured them, he does not represent historic Christianity. Basically, what what the news was saying is, well, this pastor... She embodies historic Christianity. He's a new cult who's come up. And he's an extremist. So they take these Unitarians, these, these, these Methodists, these compromisers, and they say, well, this is what Christianity's always believed. And these guys over here, they're weirdos. That's not how it is. We are the historic Christian church. They are new on the scene. They are the compromisers with the world. Even the Methodist church wouldn't have preached what they preach now 100 years ago but that's what they do. They bring in these liberal Christians and they, they portray them as being in step with the Christian faith so that we can be the weirdos. We're on the outside. Let me tell you, church, we stand for historic Christianity when we say marriage between, between one man and one woman. We stand for, with historic Christianity when we say a man is a man, as a woman is a woman, and you can't switch that around. We stand with historic Christianity when we say that men cannot have babies. We stand with historic Christianity when we say that life is a gift of God and is precious and not to be murdered. We stand with historic Christian faith. So they'll say, well, it's not our faith that's the problem, the Unitarian minister. It's not Christianity that's the problem. It's these extremists that come up. Because Jesus was a good teacher and a good man, and he wanted, he wanted to show us the way to live, to love one another, and to get along with one another. Let me tell you, that's not the historic faith. Don't let them take that from you. What we believe has been believed since the days of the apostles. Not that nonsense. They won't accuse us of our faith. Understand that. They're not going to outlaw Christianity. They won't do it. Because there will always be Christians who will toe the line with what they want to believe. There are churches today who call themselves Christians who will affirm a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. So they'll never ban religion. That, that looks really bad. But what they'll do is they'll take the historic faith and the historic doctrines, and they'll label it as bigoted, right. hateful, right. extremist. That must be stopped. Those people must be stopped. And don't rest because we live in 2022 and we have relative freedom. The day is coming when those who hate mankind, those like us who are bigoted and hate the human race, They'll call for our execution, our removal from society, because a civil society can't have people who hate other people that way. I was, uh, years ago, I followed a minor league baseball team in Bakersfield. It was Pride Month, I think. And so they, you know, you know the no absolute crowd, right? We got with this thing. There's no absolute. She said, oh, is that absolutely true, right? And so they posted on the Twitter feed, No tolerance for intolerance. I I commented back, I said, isn't that intolerant? They said, no, no, no. Intolerance of the things that we like, we can't tolerate that. We can only be intolerant of your point of view because your point of view is a hater point of view. It's a bigoted point of view. Kind of like when Paul was arrested and they said, it's better, it's good this man not even be allowed to live, right? That's where they're going to get to with the Christians. You're intolerant, so we're not going to tolerate your intolerance. We're going to put you out of society, put you away from society. It's coming, folks. It's coming. I had a quote I missed I want to read to you guys. In the early church, the Christians weren't uh, hated because they were Christians. See, they they masked it. They were labeled as intolerant because they didn't worship all the gods of Rome. They were called atheists because they only accepted one god. So the hatred of Christians was not because they were Christians, because they were intolerant. If only they would accept the gods of Rome along with Christ, they would have been perfectly fine. When Nero burned the city of Rome and blamed it on the Christians, they weren't arrested and murdered and tortured because they were Christians. Listen to Tacitus, the Roman historian. He says this vast numbers were convicted, not so much on the count of arson as for hatred of the human race. That was their crime. You make us feel bad. You condemn us. You say we're going to hell because we worship all these gods. You don't accept our gods. You make us feel bad about ourselves. You hate us. You're hateful of the human race. And for hating the human race, they were set on fire. Oh, that was Rome. That won't happen here. Baloney. People still hate Christ the same way now they did back then. We're a little bit more civilized right now. But that's starting to peel away as layers, isn't it? Yeah. No tolerance for intolerance. No tolerance for the haters. No tolerance for the bigots. No tolerance for the Christians. The extremists. It's coming. It's coming. I said all that by way of introduction to get to our text. Because our text chronicles John the Baptist, a man of great boldness. A man who paid a great price for his boldness. We're going to need John the Baptist today. We need John the Baptist. Because this is a day when standing for righteousness may cost us something. Today and in the very near future. It could be uh, costly, a price to pay for standing for righteousness. We need bold people. Days of compromise call for great boldness. Days of confusion call. That's what the world is. They're confused right now. They've abandoned the knowledge of God. And since all knowledge of wisdom come from God, they've abandoned everything. They can't make heads or tails of it. They believe, that I mean, if, I, if they put on a cape and a cowl, I should call them Batman. They think, they're they, therefore they are. In days like that, it's going to take great boldness amongst Christians. Let's look at our text. Verse 1, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of John of Jesus. Herod the Tetrarch, in the story, he's the son of Herod the Great, who was the one who killed all the babies two years old and under in an attempt to kill Christ. So this Herod heard of the wonderful works of Christ and of his miracles. Verse 2, and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So we see this is after the death of John the Baptist, right? Um, when, whom Herod himself had ordered to be killed. We see in Mark six sixteen. But when Herod heard there, thereof, he said, It is John whom I have beheaded. He is risen from the dead. So he sees Jesus. He sees the wonderful works of Jesus. And he says, Oh, no. John the Baptist has come back from the dead to get vengeance on me for killing him. Now, the irony of this is, is Herod is believed to be a Sadducee. The Sadducees don't believe in life after death. Right? They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in the afterlife. They rejected the inspiration of most of the Bible. They accepted only the five books of Moses. But when you looked at the five books of Moses, you you know what you never see? Someone coming back from the dead to get vengeance on someone who killed them. Which tells us this. When we're not anchored to an absolute confidence in the word of God, our beliefs are going to follow us, aren't they? Here's a Sadducee who doesn't even fully believe Sadducee doctrines. Surely he could look through the Bible that he accepts as the Bible and say, well, this doesn't teach someone come back from the dead to, to get revenge, so it must not be that. This happens when we have a low view of Scripture. The Sadducees had a low view of Scripture. A low view of Scripture is how we get things like Mariology, Purgatory, the Mass, and other extra-biblical uh, um, superstitions. Hold to the Bible. Believe the Bible. Don't add to it. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. This is where the story gets interesting. Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus. He he was the son of Herod the Great and brother to Philip. This makes her the niece of her husband. So it was an incestuous relationship. Now this Herod and Philip were half-brothers, having the same father, Herod the Great, but different mothers. This is a messed up family. This is a messed up story. By the way, Herod went to see Philip, liked his wife, took her as his own wife, divorced his wife. If you notice in our text, the Bible still calls her your brother Philip's wife. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As far as God was concerned, that was still Philip's wife that he had taken and he was with. Understand that. God is not moved by our changing call it what it is call yourself a woman you're still a man call yourself a man you're still a woman God's not he's not fooled there is great sin in this situation verse 4 for John said unto him it is not lawful for thee to have her so John confronted Herod to his face over his sin the sin of incestuous marriage taking his brother's wife and divorcing his own wife in order to have her do you see the sin upon sin there an incestuous marriage with a woman who wasn't his wife, but was his brother's wife, who he shouldn't have had in the first place either, then divorcing his own wife to take this wife. That sounds a lot like we see going in our society today. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this this messed up sexual culture here. John wasn't living in days too different than days we're living in, folks. I don't think he stopped there, though. Luke 3, verse 16, listen to this. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latch of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with the fire unquenchable. And many other things in 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 his exhortation preached he unto the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife and for all the evils which Herod had done. So John is preaching his message of condemnation to the Jews as he prepares the way for the Messiah who is coming to judge his covenant-breaking people, and he turns his attention towards Herod. And he rebukes him not just for the marriage, for the divorce, but it says for all the sins, all the evil that he had done, all the sins he had committed. He confronted him for his wickedness. There needs to be great boldness today to stand before magistrates and kings and princes and to tell them, no, no, God still expects something of you. As a leader of the people, you serve before God. He rebuked Herod to his face. That could get him killed. It did get him killed. He rebuked him for all the evil that he had done. That means he stood before Herod and he had a zeal for holiness and for righteousness and he rebuked him. John had something that we sorely lack in modern professing Christianity, and that is a love of holiness. We don't love holiness today. If we loved holiness, we would be repulsed by sin, right? We would be turned away by sin. We don't love holiness. We acknowledge it, we give lip service to it, but we don't love it like John loved it. We've lost this in the church today. We've accepted a cultural Christianity of T-shirts and bracelets, of community groups, finding a place to belong. If I see one more church with a sign that says a place to belong, I'm going to vomit. The church is a place to find community and friendship. It's a place to find holiness. It's a place to find Christ. We've so watered down the church today. If we had a zeal for holiness that John had, surpassed only by the zeal for holiness that Christ had, we would see real miracles in our world. you know why we don't see miracles today? Because when Pastor Max goes to the city council to rebuke them for their wickedness, he's usually the only pastor there. How many thousands of pastors are in, are, are in this area? What, why is he the only one there? Why was it when they went to the Capitol, there was what, two, three, four, five pastors in a state with tens of thousands of pastors. And I don't just mean the Unitarian ones, the women, one. I mean I mean the ones who would say they are standing on the word of God. They are faithful, they are bold, they, 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 they preach against sin, but they don't show up to preach in the high places to those who need to be told, hey, you can't live this way, you can't govern this way. You are accountable to God. John did that. We need that today. We need a zeal for holiness, a zeal that just says we can't take this anymore. We go the opposite way, right? We say we can't take this anymore, we're moving to Idaho. Where there's more Republicans like us. That's not how we handle this. How do you handle the onslaught of liberalism and sin in a California pastor? You stand up and you say no more. You say turn or burn. You say God is gonna hold you accountable, and you're in sin. I'm not running, I'm not running. Because Christ has California too. He died for this too. He died for LA County. Oh, you know how wicked it is here, I do. And we need bold men and women today to stand at abortion clinics and before city councils and on street corners to hold up the righteousness of Christ and to say no more. You can't have that as your wife. You already have a wife. You're not a man. You're a woman. You cannot murder your baby and get away with it. God will hold you accountable. We need that today. We need great boldness today. I'm tired of this sissy Christianity that, oh, we're going to speak the truth in love. So we end up with all love and no truth. You can't separate the two. If you love them, you will speak the truth to them. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. How do you love us? By calling us to repentance, yeah. by rebuking our sin. Yeah. You wanna love your neighbor? Then rebuke their sin. Then call them to holiness and righteousness. Don't hold back, we, we gotta stop this. Oh, I to, I'm trying to use nice language. This Christianity. You ever get how these people are out street preaching and they feel like they have to explain themselves? We love you, we're not against you, but you need, to, you need to be saved to come to, stop pretending, no, you're going to hell. Christ looks down and he is disgusted by what you're doing. Turn to Christ or perish, we need that. We need more people to stand up and say, there's one way, Christ or perish, that's it. Don't worry about sounding intolerant, it's okay. You're not intolerant, Christ is the intolerant one. He will have no sin in his presence. He will have no lawbreaker in his kingdom. And he has already condemned those who believe not because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But we need to be bold to deliver that message. Stop compromising. I'm not saying you guys don't take it personally, by the way. It's not a rebuke of your church. But I'm saying we, our churches, us as Christians, No compromise. It stops now. We must be bold like John the Baptist and say, no more. Sin is sin. Right is wrong. You will live or you will perish. Those are your options. Stop trying to please the lost into the kingdom. We're too afraid of offending our friends and not concerned enough with offending God. We had a girl just this last week. I talked about in our church on Wednesday. A girl we know. Granddaughter of a pastor that we know. Came up through a youth group. Came out as gay on Facebook. That's heartbreaking, turning from the faith that way. But what's heartbreaking was family members who are faithfully in church, in the Independent Baptist Church. Those who are supposedly strong against sin, strong against compromise, on her post on Facebook, all I put was "We love you." We love you. One of them was a the pastor's wife, grandmother to the girl. We love you, heart, heart, heart. I told my wife, "That's disgusting." Listen, there's nothing wrong with loving our, our family members in sin. Nothing. But when you affirm them on, your, on their coming out post without rebuking them when they profess faith in Christ, you are compromising. You're in sin. You want to love this girl? Then call her to repentance. Don't play along with the lie that, oh, well, we'll just we'll just tell her we love her in public and pray for her in private. That's not what John the Baptist did. You get in her face and you tell her that is not godly. That is not righteous, and if you go that way, you will perish with the world. That's sin. I like that interview they had with Doug Wilson about homosexuality. They said, do you believe it's a A choice. He goes. He goes. I do believe it's a choice, and I believe it's a sinful one. Let's just say it. It's a choice, and it's sinful. It's wrong. Call them to repentance. We don't love our family members if we coddle their sin for the sake of getting along. I'm done getting along. Let's stand for holiness. We've got family members coming up here pretty soon in our family. Who'll be getting married? they profess Christ, the spouses won't profess Christ. We've already set our minds. We're not going to those weddings. You know why? Because a professing Christian, marrying an unbeliever, is sin. And if we go to the wedding, see, we're all bold when it's the gay wedding, right? We're not going to go to the gay wedding because that's, listen, this is the same sin. This is sin just as bad. We've set our minds. We're not taking part. We're not celebrating it. We're not supporting it. What's it going to do with your family members? I don't know. But it's wrong. And when they ask why we're not going, I'm going to say, it's wrong. Don't get married. Repent. We've got to stop tolerating sin. Pretending that we love them because we're not calling them out. No. You know who loved Herod that day? John the Baptist loved Herod that day. He loved Herod by calling him to repent of his sin. John wanted Holiness. Jesus wants holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I heard a preacher at Lancaster Baptist one time was preaching that. Of course, he's an easy believist, doesn't believe you have to have fruit with your salvation. And so he just, he was puzzled, I think, by the verse. And he goes, I, I take this verse to mean that no one will see Jesus in you if you're not holy. So that's not what the verse says. I don't care how you take the verse. The verse says, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. If your life is not producing holiness, you're not a Christian, you'll not see the Lord. To me, it seems pretty cut and dry. Fruit is required of the believer. I'm short on time, but I'm not going to finish our our text. But this idea that we've got to coddle sinners to love them publicly just pray for them privately don't don't rebuke them publicly that's how we get women driving their their friends to abortion clinics to murder their babies well i don't i don't like what she's doing but i have to support her she's my friend no you don't have to support her the support and love she needs is to be told no i'm not going to help you murder your child no herod killed john because it pleased somebody else politicians will do that by the way the day will come and they'll lock us up just because it pleases the crowd to lock us up. Sure. Herod did that in uh, Acts chapter 12. He killed Peter or James. And this is because it pleased the crowd, he, he imprisoned Peter also. Yep. We see the same stuff today. Our president got up to announce the newest Supreme Court nominee when she was being questioned about what a woman was. She said, I, I'm not a biologist. I don't know what a woman is. But when he introduced her as the first black female Supreme Court justice, she didn't correct him because she knows darn well what a woman is. They're pleasing the crowd. And we need to stand up and say, I don't care what the crowd says. We're going to stand for holiness, righteousness, and justice. We need more of that in this world. Easy believism is weak in the church. Do you know why people didn't rebuke that girl on Facebook the other day? You want to know the honest answer? They all believe she's saved. Well, yeah, she, she's gay. But when she was four years old in Sunday school, she prayed and asked Jesus in her heart. Around the kitchen table, her dad led her in a prayer, and she prayed, and she's saved, and you, you don't have to live holy if you're saved, and so as long as you have the profession of faith, you're saved, and so she's saved eternally because she did those things, and they don't see the need to rebuke her. Easy believ. I just preached on our church the last two wins. easy believism is a curse on the Christian church. No, no, fruit is required of salvation. Right. There's a new person that the Holy Spirit creates inside of us. That There's not a love of holiness. There's not a new creature. There's not the Holy Spirit of God. But see, they've been lulled in this false security by this easy believism. So they look at her going off into this perverse lifestyle. They say, well, at least she's saved. We'll just love her and maybe she'll change her mind later. No. She's showing evidence that she's lost and she needs to repent and believe the gospel. That's what she's doing. Say, Pastor, you are seem angry. I am. Because we've tolerated this nonsense far too long in our society. Do you like know California's the way it is? Because in 1973, when they passed Roe v. Wade, there were, Roe v. Wade, that was national. In 1967, when Ronald Reagan legalized abortion in California, there were no pastors standing out there saying, Mr. Governor, you can't do this. These are human lives. That is murder. God will judge you. Nobody said that to him. In fact, Governor Reagan consulted, from what I understand, four, two Roman Catholic priests, a Baptist pastor, and a Presbyterian pastor. And all four assured him it was the right decision to make. This is why we have abortion today. Because we didn't stand for righteousness. Do you know why we have gay marriage today? Well, because of Obama and the Supreme Court? No! Because we didn't stand for righteousness. You know why we have transgenderism? Because we didn't stand for righteousness. All this stuff is happening because we're not preaching and living and being bold as we ought to be. This may surprise you, but me as a street preacher, I went my entire life without ever bumping into a street preacher. I grew up in heavily populated areas. The San Francisco Bay Area. Never bumped into a street preacher. Where were people preaching righteousness? Oh, we can decry San Francisco, that gay community. But where were the preachers of righteousness? The number one, I'm, I'm wrapping up here, I know it's 2 o'clock. The number one soul winning church after World War II in America. America. Want you to say this? Look it up. The Glide Memorial Methodist Church in San Francisco. Today, it's a synagogue of Satan pastored by a demon possessed radical. But at one time they were the number one soul winning church in America. You know why? They stopped standing for righteousness. They had no zeal for holiness. And they began to compromise. Oh, they'll come into the church if we have AIDS clinics. They'll come into the church if we have affirming meetings and conferences. And today, you couldn't get saved there accidentally. We live in a day... Like with John the Baptist. We need boldness. We need a zeal for holiness. We need to stand up to everybody in power and say, no more. No more. I, a street preacher friend. You guys know me, I'm not a hyper Republican. I don't hardly ever vote. There's nobody worth voting for. I had a street preacher friend after Joe Biden took office that bragged on Facebook, he said, I sent a letter, a salvation letter to the president to share the gospel with him and tell him he needs to repent. And then he, people were commenting on it. One of the comments he goes, I sent one to Obama too. I told my wife, I said he missed somebody. Wasn't there one in between Obama and Biden? Trump. But I guess being a Republican, he's automatically saved. No. We got to speak righteousness to everybody. So can I be honest with you? I, I believe fully Donald Trump, whether you liked him or, or, or lumped him as a president, he's an unsaved, wicked, ungodly man who needs to repent and believe the gospel. But the church, the professing church, for four years cowered away, pretended he was saved. That's nonsense. It's not what John the Baptist would have done. We stand before everybody, folks. Every lost sinner needs to be saved. God demands holiness of all of our leaders, Republican or Democrat or Independent or anything else. We need bold people who will stand up to lost people and say, no more. The zeal of God compels me. You cannot live this way. You cannot rule this way. You cannot judge this way. God demands holiness. He demands righteousness. He demands justice. I'm telling you, folks. I even forgot to get to my points. I didn't have time for my points. Let me get those real quickly. Let me finish my thought. I'm telling you, folks. We live in a day that's coming when great boldness, great boldness will be necessary. And it may cost you your freedom. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your life. But who cares if you have a zeal for God's holiness? So my points, we need a zeal for true holiness today. That's what we need. We need in our churches a zeal for holiness, a consuming passion, a burning desire that we just can't keep our mouths shut. The pastor shouldn't beg people to go preaching or go to the abortion clinic or to go speak to city council. We need boldness in our witness. We need to call sinners to repentance. We're not loving them if we urge them on in their sin. We're only loving them if we call them to repentance. You see, it's unloving to tell them they're going to hell. No, it's the most loving thing you could do because they are. They need to know that. And then we need to be willing to pay the price for our zeal. Count the cost. It's going to cost something to be a Christian in the near future. Are you ready to pay that price? No longer is it socially acceptable. No longer is it going to be admirable. If you're being the kind of Christian that John the Baptist was, with a zeal for God's righteousness, calling sinners to repent, we're not going to be very fun people to be around. But that's okay. Because we have a message and a commission from God for this world. Our God demands repentance from sinners. He will banish all lawbreakers from his sight. Love holiness. Don't compromise. Don't water it down. Don't give an inch. This is a war that we are in. Let's fight like bold men and women who are on the winning side. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach here. I don't know how it came across, Lord, but hope the head understands my heart. I'm stirred in my soul. As I watched on Facebook this week, Christians, professing Christians that I thought were good, strong Christians, compromise on your holiness. I thought to myself, no, 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 we need to stand. We need to stand though they call us intolerant, though they call us homophobic, though they call us haters of mankind, though they call us disruptive to society, whatever they want to call us, they'll call us followers of Christ because Christ, well, he was intolerant. He said he is the only way. No man comes to the Father except through him. He was disruptive of society. And then they killed him. And then he rose from the dead. And then he overthrew them. May we remember, Lord, we are victors in Christ. But the time has come. September 2022, there is no more room for compromise. The battle lines have been drawn by the world. We either join them or we fight. I choose to fight. I choose to fight. Because I love a God who is holy. Who is righteous and who is just. Here I stand. I can do no other. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.